Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today I have on guest Joe Sanook. Joe is the author of Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. The book examines how the four-day workweek boosts creativity and productivity. Joe has been featured on Forbes, Good Magazine, and the Smart Passive Income podcast. He is the host of the popular The Practice of the Practice podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide with over 100,000 downloads each month. Best-selling authors, experts, scholars, and business leaders, and innovators are featured and interviewed in the 550-plus podcast episodes he has done over the last six years. Today, Joe and I are talking all about the four-day work week and how it's better for your company and it's better for your employees if you are able to implement it in your business. And we're sharing tips and tricks on how you can implement this in your business, even if your business seems non-standard to the typical Monday through Friday, nine to five work. So let's jump into the conversation so you can hear all the benefits of working fewer hours and boosting the productivity with inside your company. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. Oh, Jamie, thank you so much for having me today. Yes. Can you kick us off with telling our listeners about yourself? Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a dad of two awesome girls that are seven and 10, and I'm raising them on my own and uh, get to really enjoy having glitter in my hair all the time, it seems like. So uh, I, I would say uh that's my primary focus in life. Uh, in career, uh, I took a very traditional path, did my undergraduate and grad school in psychology and counseling, uh, had lots of jobs in nonprofits and eventually at a community college. And really throughout that process, realized how little I knew about business because I started a side gig counseling practice just to pay off student loan debt uh, and was learning more and more about business and realized that there was a lot to learn there. And so uh, I just started podcasting, talking about the business of private practice back in 2012. And we're up to about seven, we just did 700 episodes, our 700th episode of that, um, and interview people within that counseling space, but also people outside of it, people like Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, Julie Schwartz-Gottman. Uh, Lewis Howes, people that are just interesting that I find have unique stories. Uh, and so we do that four episodes a week now. And it's it's a lot of business type of things, uh, primarily around the coaching and counseling world. Um, but in that process, really just saw how, you know, growing a business, if you don't know how to grow a business can be really hard. So we, we've started a, a number of membership communities to help people and uh, coaching programs. We have a team of about 20 now that 
just helps people start, grow, scale, and exit their private practices. Uh, and then kind of my next step was I wanted to write a book. And so I wrote the book, Thursday is the New Friday with Harper Collins, um, which is all about the four-day work week and um, why it's better for creativity and productivity. Yes, I cannot wait to get into that, the four-day work week and getting all your, your information on there. And congrats on your podcast. Like you said four episodes a week. That's a, that's a lot, yeah. a lot of work. So congrats. I'm sure you have an amazing team that helps you get all that done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were doing two a week and then uh, we added a third, like an Ask Joe show where people could submit questions. And then we just had sponsors that kept reaching out wanting to sponsor shows. So we added a fourth episode a week and um, yeah, it's really grown organically and have an awesome team that I pretty much show up, not pretty much. I do show up, record the interview, and then it's out of my hands at that point. You know, they do all the backend uh, promotion and editing and transcriptions and all that. Yes. It's amazing. It's a way for you to be able to produce what is needed for your audience get them the information that they want, the connections that they want and everything, but without adding a whole lot of work to your plate because you have an amazing team that is helping you I like that. Yeah. And I think that's what good leaders do. I would hope I'm a good leader. Uh, I think good leaders are able to say, where am I really strong? Um, and how do I make time for those areas? And what are tasks that I do that I should really offload to somebody else? Right. Yeah. You can't do it all. And you really need to focus on your strengths in a lot of ways and say, I'm not good at this and it's okay not to be good at everything and give it to the person who is good at it instead of you struggling with it. Yeah. And I think that at least my posture towards my team is to um, empower them to make that same decision. And so like every year, and I go extensively into this in the book, but every year I ask them three questions. And the first one is, what are you doing now that you absolutely love and you want to keep doing? Uh, what are things that are on your plate that you hate and you would like to offload? And what are things that you wish you were doing that you'd like some training in or some experience in? And to see how, you know, some of my staff, so um, our podcast producer, uh, Sam, she started as our conference planner. She's really good with details and paying attention to things. And then when that conference was over, you know, she said she wanted to help with some of the podcasts and learn about that. And then over time, she's like, I am so sick of show notes. I don't want to do the show notes anymore. And she's like, I want to look big picture. So she manages all 17 of the podcasts we manage and, and to allow people over time to create their exact position they want then they're the ones that are defining, okay, we need to hire this new person. We need to train this new person. They're the ones that are doing that training because they want it off of their plate. And now we have people that are co-trained. So uh, it's such a nice way of allowing people to create the positions they want rather than some box that I try to squeeze people into. Right. And I love that. And I love that you you do it every year and you've really built it into your culture. Cause I know uh, with one of my teams back in corporate, I would ask people similar questions. And one of the things is, you know, what about your position do you hate? What do you not like doing? And at first my team was so hesitant to answer that. And they said, you're my boss. I don't want to tell you something that I don't like doing. That's a part of my job. And obviously there being in a large corporate company, I wasn't in control of a lot of things. So I couldn't be like, yeah, let's just hire someone and get that off your plate for you. But the way I, uh, told them with that was, this is going to help with your per career progression. If you tell me that you hate this one thing, when we talk about what's that next step and prepare you for that next step, we're not going to put you in a position where that's going to be 50% of your role. Let's look at roles where that becomes less and less, or you can stop doing it completely and you can focus on what you love. And as soon as we start talking about it, about that, that it's about getting them the next step into something that they're going to enjoy doing, they started to open up more about things that they didn't like about the role. And also telling them there's sometimes things you don't like that you're going to have to do, 
but let's just make sure it's a small part of the role. Totally. Yeah. And you can't just stop doing the show notes. You got to hand it off to someone. You have to hire someone, all these different things. And I think that's the big shift we're seeing in companies is moving away from that industrialist model. And that's something I, I love learning the research and history behind because, you know, the industrialist taught us that we create a machine, we plug it in, it's predictable. We're going to treat people and schools and businesses like machines that are just based on their output. Um, and that we've outgrown that in every area we don't think that way. I don't look at a staff member and say, you're only what you output. Um, no, they're, they're diverse people. They have diverse thoughts. They have ways that they do it. And so that old model, the industrialist taught us was here's the five steps. You always do these five steps. Everyone does those five steps. Whereas the new model is experimenting. It's viewing things like a menu of saying, we're going to try this. We're going to see if it works. We're going to have very clear analytics on if it's working or not, but then we're going to adjust and change and shift away from different things uh, and have it be an experimental model where it's not pass fail like the industrialist wanted us to think. And that's a big shift that we're really seeing societally that started to happen in the late 80s and early 90s into where we are now really as a post-industrialist business world. Yes. Yes. I love all that. Yeah. So I'm really, really interested in getting more into that topic about the, the four day work week and everything like that. One of the reasons why I think this is perfect timing for this conversation is the other week I took a personality assessment with an organization, a leadership training program that I'm a part of. And it was, it was one of like the, the strength-based assessments where it comes back telling you the things you're good at, the things that you're not so good at, but you've learned to do because you have to do the things that you're good at. You don't realize you're good at. And then your, your weaknesses. So the things that you should probably try to avoid. And one of the things that came back in my learned behavior was work ethic. And that really surprised me at first. I was like, but I'm always such a hard worker. I'm a dedicated worker. I get stuff done. Like I don't miss deadlines. What, how is work ethic, you know, not, um, not just like, not a strength, like how is it a learned behavior for me? Like that's something where it said like, you know, pretty much some of these things that does let you up, you should avoid. And the more I read into it, it was the way I view work is you do what needs to get done, but works out your entire life. So why work 40 hours if it doesn't take 40 hours? Why give overtime? And one of those things where it's like, you don't leave until the boss leaves. And it's like, why do I have to stay until the boss leaves if my work's done type thing? And I was like, oh, that is so me. And instead of thinking I need to be working Monday through Friday at the hours that coincide with my client hours, it's like, I have the control to build my own work week and what that looks like. So tell us more about the four day work week and the concept and where it all came from. Yeah, I think it's important for us to back up before um, to really see how new the 40 hour work week is. So when I entered into working on the book, you know, you turn in a proposal, HarperCollins says, yes, we approve this proposal. We want to buy this book. But then I wanted to kind of set that proposal aside and say, if I was just starting this conversation, like what would my questions be that I didn't even have in the proposal? And one of those was, where did the 40 hour work week come from? What was life like before that? Where, where did we even get this idea of time? And so actually we have to go back a few thousand years to the Babylonians to understand that the seven day week was completely made up by the Babylonians. They looked up, they saw the sun and moon, they saw Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and Jupiter. And so they had seven major things that they saw. And they said, we should have a seven-day week. So in nature, there's nothing that says seven days. Uh, you know, a year makes sense. That's when our planet goes around the sun. A day makes sense. Uh, you know, the months loosely line up with the lunar cycle. 
But the seven day week is completely arbitrary. We could just as easily have 73 weeks with five days in each week. Um, the Romans, uh, they had a 10 day week. Uh, the, the Egyptians had an eight day week. Uh, even as recent as the 1800s, the Russians tried out a five day week. And so to just start with this thing that we all agree to a seven day week is completely made up because the Babylonians had bad astronomy. So if we just then fast forward and say, how did people work in, like in the early 1800s, mid 1800s and late 1800s, the average person in the late 1800s was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So whether or not they were a farmer, they had a farmer's schedule. People were working all the time. Uh, life was really hard. So in 1926, when Henry Ford uh, starts the 40 hour work week at Ford Industries. Uh, he was doing it because he wanted to sell more Ford cars to Ford employees because he knew if they had a weekend, they would buy a car to get out of town to go do something. Uh, whereas if they were working all the time, they weren't going to pay to get to work faster. So it worked. And then, you know, through lots of legislation and other things, we see that that 40 hour work week becomes a, an institution within our American society. But if you really think about it, I mean, 1926, that's like our grandparents were kids at that point. And so we're talking three generations. So the baby boomers were the first generation raised by people living a 40 hour work week. We're, we're the second or third generation being raised. So it's so recent. But then when we start to see in the 80s and 90s, there's a rise of casual Fridays. It's when people bring cupcakes into the office to celebrate Janet having a baby. We do cheesy team, team building activities and visioning on Fridays. Friday starts to not even become a fully worked day. And so then the pandemic is that final nail in the coffin. When we look at, do we need 40 hours to do the work that we're doing? And we hear all sorts of case studies of, especially during the pandemic of people working two jobs and being able to fit that into 40 hours. Other people, um, you know, not having butts in the seat be the actual key performance indicator, but actually like, what's the output we're looking at here? And so it's really interesting to just dig into the 40 hour work week uh, is completely arbitrary. It's less than a hundred years old and we can change this. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting. Cause I know you say it's less than a hundred years old, but it's like that people are like, wait, but before that they were working even more. So if we're saying that this is only a hundred years old, but thousands of years, they worked more. Does it make sense to change it? Yeah, I mean, I would say that technology has significantly changed in 100 years as well. I mean, the, the things that they were spending time on, we probably get done or don't even have to do. We don't have to go get water. We don't have to go feed animals. We don't have to, you know, look for land or build our barn with our neighbors. Uh, we have those basic things it takes to survive that it took in the 1800s uh, to survive just aren't worries for us anymore. But then instead of saying, well, what are we going to do? to expand creativity, expand productivity, and not just kill ourselves in the process. Um, that's where I would say we're seeing that the research actually shows that that last day of work is completely unproductive, that a 32-hour week is more productive than a 40-hour week. Um, you know, Iceland had this 3,000-person study they did that they re released about a year ago uh, across industries. It wasn't just teachers or it wasn't just business entrepreneurs. It was across industries. And they found that basically that last eight hours is wasted time, that they weren't any more productive. Uh, and if anything, they're less happy, less healthy. Uh, so there's all these ancillary benefits when you reduce down to a 32 hour week. Yeah, I definitely find that interesting because if you hear um, sometimes people are like, uh, don't send emails on a Friday, no one's gonna respond. You know, I don't take client calls on Fridays. I don't do this on Fridays. And it's like, yeah, it is true that people operate differently on Fridays than they do any other day during the week. But 
if we go down to a four day work week and you say Thursday is the new Friday, is there risk where then people are like, well, Thursday's my wrap up day. So it's then becoming less productive. I think there can be that tendency, but I think the average person, they don't want to be lazy in their job, but they need to look busy enough to not get fired at least. <laughs> and so uh, what we know about Parkinson's law is that work expands to the time given to it. And so imagine the average person has 20 some tasks they need to do in a week, and now they have four days to do it. They're either going to do some of those tasks quicker. Um, it may not be the same quality of work, um, but that's where we need to have you know clear measures and clear checks and balances. Um, but we also may see that some of those tasks that we used to have on our plates really shouldn't be there. The other side of Parkinson's law that people often don't talk about is the natural bloating of organizations. And so Parkinson noticed in uh, the British Navy, how basically when you put a policy in, it was near impossible to pull that back out of, of the British Navy. And that's true in corporations and even small companies where you know, once we have some sort of system, we don't even ask ourselves, why are we doing this system? Um, and so what reducing our time does is it forces you to drop the ball on the less essential things. People will naturally and intuitively work on the things that are best for the business and best for their role. Uh, and they'll put the things on the back burner that aren't. And so, yeah, they may not be checking emails as often because they're only there four days, but then that begs the question of, do we need to have email as our primary communication? Is that the best way to get things done? If we all don't see value in email within the company and we're all having gigantic inboxes, well, that should give us some data to say, maybe that's an area that we could trim down a little bit, or we could adjust our strategy in regards to email or whatever the equivalent of email is that people are dropping the ball on. Yeah, I like that. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I do agree that I think there's a lot of things that get done within businesses because it's always been done and not necessarily because it should be. You know, I um I have a my black belt in Lean Six Sigma that's all about improving processes and cutting out the waste. So I am all on board with that. It's like let's get rid of the waste, focus on what's actually going to produce the ROI that's needed. And so that's great. One of the questions that I have is, okay, so this concept of a four-day four work week sounds great, but there's some industries where it seems like that wouldn't work with the way that they serve clients. Is there different things that could be done in those industries? So almost like the industries and things where it needs to be seven days a week in order to do what they do, but is there a way to build in a four-day work week for their team? Absolutely. And that's where the shift from the one-size-fits-all industrialist mindset to more of an experimenting mindset is really important because there may be teams that can do a four-day week, but they really need to work on Fridays and they need to take Wednesdays off, or maybe they need to take Thursday and Friday afternoon off or start at 10 instead of eight. Uh, and, and so that's where adjusting within the industries and even within departments within a company um, to do a you know quarter long trial to say, well, we're going to try to do these four days a week. We're going to look at these measures. We're going to report out what's working, what's not working. It helps you then actually experiment to see what is the very best schedule for that particular team within that company. And then those teams can report out and you may align an entire company around one of those schedules. You may not, you may have an IT team that they code best from 6 p.m. until midnight because they just are all night owls. And the output that they need to put out is higher because they're able to adjust their schedules. Um, and there's also going to be industries that this is very hard to implement. Uh, I think that the hardest is gonna be, especially kind of the working class and you know the entry level positions, you know places like a Walmart or fast food. And we don't want to leave behind these people, but a lot of the hourly employee or hourly um, 
employees are going to be the ones that if they just work one last day, that's money out of their pocket. And that's a broader societal discussion of, do we think that for people to make ends meet, that they should be working 50 hours a week as an hourly employee? There's a lot of countries that have tested out other types of things like living wages. Um, but I mean, that's a bigger discussion beyond just the four-day work week of how that would work for hourly employees. Or if we look at those 24-7 type of industries, we can't say ambul ambulances don't drive on a Friday, um, okay. but we can look at um, are ambulance drivers that are working 40 to 48 hours a week, are they sticking with that industry long-term? Are we burning out our employees? Are we having more mistakes made? There's analytics that when we look at um, that having an extra shift and giving those people time off will actually save money. It will actually improve outcomes. It'll change different dynamics that maybe we don't expect. Uh, the Kalamazoo Valley Community College is this amazing example of this. They started, I think, a good five or six years ago to the four-day work week in the summertime across the entire community college. Uh, and they've saved millions of dollars in just HVAC costs in air conditioning in the summertime by shutting down on Friday across the board. Um, their staff stay there longer than other community colleges. They're an internal payment insurance. So they just like have their own insurance program that they created and their healthcare costs have gone down when everyone else's has gone up. And so people are happier, they're healthier, they're staying there longer, and they've saved millions on their, their costs within their buildings. And so when we actually look at case studies of large institutions implementing these types of things, if they're looking at the data and then they're adjusting and changing over time, it really tends to show that it's typically in the interest of productivity and of creativity to switch away from the typical model we've seen. Yeah, that definitely makes so much sense. And I remember a few years ago, I was reading an article that it just the impact of people working, I think it's like over 45 to 50 hours a week, the impact it has on their health and that everyone has that, that point in the day where they stop being productive. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to get so much work out of my employees because they work until 8 PM every night. And it's like, well, they're not really working at to 8 PM every night at the same capacity that they were earlier during the day. So especially if like they're an hourly employee, you're paying for less work, like when you look at it at a per hour basis than you were at other hours during the day. Yeah, and, and when you start to look at, especially the research around stress, anxiety, sleep outcomes, uh, things like that, you know, in 2019, before the pandemic, we were the most stressed and most underslept that we had been for generations. And now that's continued uh, even, quote, post-pandemic uh, right now. And so to say, when we look forward to what's going to hit us in the next, say, 20 years, you know, we have major challenges for our generation. We have global warming. We have wars going on. We have potential pandemics. Plus, just, you know, raising kids is so much harder than we were ever taught. You know, so do we think that the way we lived in 2019 before the pandemic is the best we can do where we were overworked and underslept and so stressed out or would maybe working less and having more creativity and more flexibility and more productivity allow us the space to creatively address these global challenges that are going to hit us in the next 20 years, if not next year. Uh, and so I would actually argue that we want to be the most refreshed and thoughtful and creative and out of the box thinkers. And that's just not going to happen when you're stressed out and maxed out. Right. Oh, I totally agree. So I have one quick question. And then I have another question for a follow-up to that is, and I just want to clarify this because I feel like when people think four hour work week, 
they they think this way, but listening to you talk, it's not this way. It's not taking 40 hours and cramming them into four days. So it's not four 10 hour days. It's still four eight hour days. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what most of the research points to. There, right now, so much of this research is you know in the last three to four years. So we don't have longitudinal studies to really look at the impact. But the emerging research shows that a 32 hour week is as effective, if not more than a 40 hour week. Awesome. Great. And, and I, I definitely love that. I don't need to be working all the time. It's like, if you can get it done, let's get it done and, and uh, move on. Let's enjoy our life, which leads me to the next question. And I don't know if you, maybe you have some research around this, or maybe it's too early and hopefully there'll be some research that comes out around it. When we're thinking about the younger generations, especially the generation that's just entering the workforce now, they say one of the things that they want is working with companies with purpose, you know, this and that, because they really want that their work to really touch what they care about in life. And they, and these are a lot of the the same team members that really want to focus on being remote workers or being able to travel a lot and being able to have a life outside of work where they're really saying work is not everything. How can I have both? So listening to you talk, it almost seems like this is going to be a way to attract that younger workforce, as, especially as they gain more experience and become that really qualified team members that you're looking for and retain them because you're not overrunning them. You're allowing them to have a life because they have a three-day weekend every weekend. Yeah, I actually have a friend who's a vice president of an IT company, and he and I were talking, um, and he knew I had just written this book, and he said, I'm trying to convince uh, the other C-suite people to switch to the four-day work week because there's this other IT company that is doing the four-day work week and it's killing us. We're losing all of our top staff over there because they're getting paid the same or more and only have to work four days. And their their output is just as good, if not better. And so I think that that's where from a uh, attraction standpoint, the earlier that companies can switch to what we see the research is showing us, uh, it's going to be a differentiator. But if everyone switches to a four-day work week, it's no longer going to be a differentiator. And so the early adopters are attracting that top talent uh, because then people can choose to do what they want outside of, of work. Uh, in, in the book, I talk about the overvalue of work and the undervalue of fun and how uh, so much of our default is trained into us to have our egos wrapped up in what we do in work. And sure, we want to do work that we love. We want to do work that we feel like impacts the world. We want to have a career that can pay for the kind of lifestyle we want. None of that is bad. But if when we have free time, we just naturally jump on our phones and check our work email to you know, make us feel better that, oh, I got some extra email done or tomorrow morning is going to be easier because I did all this email after the kids were in bed. Did it make it easier or did it just kind of feed the beast? And then now you have those people all replied to that email in the morning. And so being able to say, I'm going to block out the things that I know are fun for myself into my schedule as well. Um, So even one thing, a lot of times people will say like, Joe, I I can't do the 40 work week right now. Um, It's my boss's call, but like, what can I do? One thing that I recommend is looking at your future weekend as being in preparation for the next week instead of reaction to the previous week. You know, if you view your weekends as recovering from the previous week, um, you know, you're going to react to that previous week rather than say, how do I best prep my brain to slow down this weekend so that the next week is, is most productive and most healthy for me. And so even just adding one thing in and taking one thing out is a great strategy to experiment and say, I'm going to add something in that I think is going to give me a good ROI on happiness. So maybe it's going out for some tea with a friend of yours or 
uh, telling your kids, listen, I need to read a book for an hour. Don't interrupt me unless you're bleeding. Uh, just let me do this. The people around you have them support you in it. Say, so do your kids actually follow that direction? They, they hundred percent, there's seven oh. and 10 and they have for several years. Like, um, we have very clear boundaries on our internal Lotus of control so much so that my daughter, the other day, she said, I feel like my body needs a salad for dinner instead of what you're planning. And I think we need to go for a walk. So I think it's really important to teach our kids to listen to their bodies and to advocate respectfully for their positions. So, I mean, that's something that is part of the family culture with the three of us. And then the other thing is to remove something from our weekend. So, you know, maybe you're stressed out over, I don't want to spend half of Saturday going grocery shopping. Maybe give yourself permission to, to use the mobile shopping or outsource the lawn mowing or whatever the thing is, try it out and see if it then allows your weekend to feel more refreshing. A lot of times the money that you would put into that then allows you to feel refreshed going into that week in a much different way. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I know uh, one of the first things we outsourced in our house was our lawn service because I wasn't doing it. And my husband was like, he was doing it, but it wasn't a priority. He didn't enjoy it. And it was like, why? And we live in Florida. Our lawn grows year round in the summer. You have to mow it like every week. And he wasn't enjoying it. It's like, why are we spending our weekends worrying about lawn duty when we could just outsource that? And at the, at the time, it was a lot of money for us to do that, but it was well worth it. And now I'm like, I would never look back, you know, getting, and I always tell people, even though I talk about hiring team members, there's some people I talk about and say, sometimes the person that you need to hire is the household type staff before the business staff, because it's, what's going to give you the mental space that you need. For sure. It's amazing how, you know, choosing strategically, like, what do I want to spend money on? Like I live in the opposite of Florida. Uh, I live in Michigan. So, uh, you know, in the middle of winter, when we had our first snow, um, I snow blew the, the driveway and it took two hours to do. And I'm like, it would cost $30 for me to have someone just, you know, do this for me. And I'm like, I would much rather be with my two daughters than to be out here blowing snow. Now there may be things that it's like, oh, it's a good workout. It's a way to get away from, you know, all the stress and we can make those choices too. And it definitely is a position of privilege, but to say, if I'm going to put my money into something, I want it to make me a better employee or a better business owner or a better father, um, that it's me intentionally putting my time into my kids and paying someone else to do something so that I can do that. Yes. Yes. I 100% agree with that. So before we start wrapping up today, I do have one more question. So let's say you're trying to implement this four day work week and you notice that you have staff members they're now trying to cram 40 hours into four days, or they're, they're always working. Like they're not taking them that break. They're not giving themselves saying like, okay, no, this can wait. They're just trying to do it all and working around the clock. Do you have any advice for how you can coach your team to stop and take the breaks that they need? Yeah. I think that the more that you can not just set that example, but to also set some very clear, hard and soft boundaries um, that in some way you track as a team. Uh, and so an example of a hard boundary is you know, every Wednesday at five o'clock, we're going to all leave and no one can email anyone until nine o'clock Thursday morning um, to just try one week and then Thursday morning, how did that feel for everyone uh, to, to not worry about email that night and to not have anything going on? Or maybe to say on a Friday afternoon, um, it's going to be no email Friday afternoon. Start with something small, manageable and trackable um, to give them a step into that insight. 
Um, I host this event in the summer called Slowdown School, where entrepreneurs fly into northern Michigan and we stay right on the beaches of, of Lake Michigan. And for two and a half days, we just slow down. We go for hikes. I bring in massage therapists. We do yoga on the beach. We skip stones. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, and then for three days, we just run full tilt towards their businesses. What happens every single time is these people start really anxious, like, I'm with Joe. I'm with all these other entrepreneurs. I want to work on stuff. And then they kind of settle into it. And by Tuesday afternoon, they're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to work again. <laughs> and then Wednesday morning, it's like they have such a pent up excitement for work that they just are unleashed and get so much done during our sprints. They get a glimpse into a new way of working, a new way of thinking of, whoa, I literally did nothing for two days in regards to my work. And I got months of work done in the two and a half days that we ran full tilt towards the business. Like, why am I working in such a stupid way at work? I'm not smart about it. And I'm working so hard. Um, that cliche of you know working smarter, not harder. But it's true. Like if we look at the brain research and pair that with our internal inclinations and then work on slowing down before we enter into our work, we statistically will get more done in less time. And that's why it's so fascinating to me that people still choose to make those decisions. But I would say as a team to your question, give them a glimpse into it together. Because if you just say to someone, you need to stop checking email as much, well, what happens if they do drop the ball? Like you then have to be like, that's okay that you dropped the ball um, with this thing. Cause I told you to stop checking your email, but to them, that may be a really important part of their job, of their image, of their ego that you just damage. So it's really, you have to demonstrate it as a team and work through it together and then talk through and debrief what's going to stand in the way of doing that in the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you say like drop the ball there, it's like, you know, what did it really mean to drop the ball? Did the client send an email, they needed something urgently and you didn't get back to them? Okay, sometimes we have to train our clients too that this is the end of our office hours and you will not hear anything until the next day. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's an opportunity to then anchor in, okay, this has been our norm. Do we want this to continue to be our norm? And so do we, just like what you're saying, so maybe we then articulate to new clients and we anchor in, here's what our hours are. We're going to do a different type of onboarding to set those expectations. Because most people, if they know the expectations, will be fine with it. If they know that it's typically a 48-hour turnaround instead of a one-hour turnaround, great. I, I knew that expectation ahead of time and you fulfilled that. Whereas if you've always done a one-hour turnaround and then you move to 48 hours and you don't articulate that to these clients, like of course they're going to be frustrated because you didn't go through the basic communication process to keep them in the loop. Yes, I agree with that. You know, one of the signs that I talk about that it's time to hire an additional team member is the fact that some of those balls are being dropped and you're not meeting the expectations that you set for your clients and everything. So, you know, you are doing those things where it was, you, you tell your clients one hour and now you're taking three days and it's like, they're feeling that. But I always stress it as it's okay to change the expectation. You know, you can change just because it's what worked for you when you started your business, just because it's what worked for you a week ago, doesn't mean it has to be what works for you going forward. You can change the expectation. It's your business. You are in control. You just got to yeah, communicate 100%. it. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, mean, it, if you've set that expectation, you want to make sure you fulfill it or articulate why and how you're going to be changing that. Yes. Yes, exactly, Joe. Okay. We need to start wrapping up. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. 
Yeah. So the book is called Thursday is the new Friday. It's available wherever you get your books, whether it's Amazon or your local bookstore. Uh, I'm sure that the local bookstores would appreciate the business. Um, JoeSanok.com is where people can contact me for keynotes and speaking and podcast interviews. Uh, if they want to work with me, practiceofthepractice.com is my main website. It's also my main podcast where we interview top business leaders about all sorts of things around running a private practice and a coaching business. All right. Thank you, Joe. And all those links will be in the show notes on growingyourteam.com under this episode. All right. Last question that I love to ask all my guests. We've all had leaders or managers that stood out to us, whether in our personal lives or our professional lives. Think of a great leader or manager that you have had the privilege of working with and share with us one thing about them. Yeah, it's actually, I had two supervisors back when I was an employee that were in very different jobs, but were both equal for the same reason. Um, Rebecca Wilson and Lisa Thomas were two uh, middle managers. Uh, one was at Community Mental Health, the other at the Community College. Uh, and I think they're both still there. Both of them really showed me how a leader that steps back and gives you autonomy is one of the most powerful leaders out there. Uh, I felt so much autonomy to create, to come up with things, to figure out my schedule, to you know, try new things. And when they needed something, I knew that they needed something because they rarely asked for anything. And so when they did ask for something and said, I need this within the next hour, I knew, listen, Lisa and Rebecca never ask for anything. So I need to get it done for them right away. And so I think so often leaders feel like they have to be so organized and on top of people. And, and honestly, those that give that autonomy and let people proceed until apprehended, I think are some of the most powerful leaders out there. Yes, I love that. All right. Thank you, Joe, for everything that you shared today. I know I'm going to go get a copy of your book because I'm interested to learn more and so I can start implementing that the four-day work week in my business. So I'm excited. All right. And thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you. Are you getting ready to hire and you wrote a job posting for your open position? But now you're left wondering, will it attract the right candidates? Hiring isn't as simple as telling people that you're hiring and having your perfect candidate show up ready to fill the role. Hiring just doesn't work that way, especially in the current market. The best candidates only apply to the positions that appear to be the right fit for them. If they don't find a connection between their job wants and your job posting, they'll skip over and go to the next opportunity. And in many cases, the reality is it's not the job isn't what they're looking for. It's not the job posting just didn't hit the mark. So is your job posting helping candidates see that your opening is right for them? Or is it turning candidates away for all the wrong reasons? Let's find out. I am currently offering, will your job posting attract the right candidates audit? Through this audit, I will review your job posting and I will tell you what's working and what needs to change so you can attract your idea candidates. So if you want your job posting reviewed by an expert before it goes live, or if you have a job posting that just is not hitting the mark in the current market, sign up for an audit. Let's review it and make the changes needed so you can attract your perfect fit team member. Because remember, you can't hire a candidate who never applies for your job. And most candidates won't apply if they don't feel connected to the job posting. So let's make sure you have a job posting that will attract all the right candidates 
and help you make this hiring journey easier. Go to growingyourteam.com slash audit and sign up for your audit today. Once again, that's growingyourteam.com slash audit. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.